First Samuel again. I want to complete this chapter, God willing. So we'll commence at the verse 19. First Samuel chapter 1 and the verse 19. And they, and they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come about that Hannah had conceived that she bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. <clears throat> and Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. And it came, and when uh, I, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until uh, thou hast weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode, and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up uh, with her, uh, with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him uh, unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young and they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I pray, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him unto the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent uh, to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Amen. We know again the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Let us bow just in a moment's prayer before we come to the message. Father in heaven, I thank you, dear God, even for the singing of these hymns. We thank you, Lord, for the people that is gathered here. What we are praying most of all, Lord, that you would meet with us, that you would help us, O oh God, and that you would speak to us through your precious word. And God in heaven, that thou would take full charge, Lord, even as I open my mouth, I pray that you would fill it. I pray, dear God, that you would bring things to my remembrance, O oh God, and those things, O oh God, that you would have me not to say then take them from my remembrance. But I do ask you again, Lord, even for all the connections, <clears throat> that all would work well, we commit this meeting unto thee now, asking, O oh God, uncovering the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, the title of today's message is Sometimes Things Are Not What They Seem. Sometimes things are not what they seem. I'm going to tell you a joke that I heard many, many, many years ago when I was a little boy. I think it was my father that they told this joke to the family. And he says there was once a man, he says, that had just bought a sports car. And he had a, a brand new sports car. And he, on his way home with it, being so proud of himself, when he seen in the distance an old man on a bicycle just ascending. The, a hill 
And as he was uh, starting to climb this hill, uh, the man was getting it very tough on the bicycle. Well, so the man in the sports car had compassion on him and he was, he was feeling sorry for him. But he says, I can't stop because I don't want to get my car damaged with his bicycle. So, uh, but as he got closer, he started to feel sorry for the man. And he pulled up alongside him and he said to him, you know, I, uh, I would love to give you a lift to the top of this hill, but I've just bought this brand new sports car. And he said that uh, I don't want to damage it. Uh, so, but then he just thought and he said, but wait a minute. He says, I have a, a, a rope here. He says, I could tow you up to the top of the hill. And uh, so uh, the, the old man agreed to it. And as they got out, they tied one end of the rope to the bicycle, the other end to the car. And they set off very slowly up the hill. They were almost at the top of the hill when suddenly another guy in another sports car went flying past and, and blurred the horn as they were going past. Well, they, didn't the guy that was towing the bicycle, didn't he go and forget that he was towing the bicycle? And he went racing after him as hard as he could eh, down the road. And so the two of them was racing and about a mile and a half or two down the road, there was a policeman that had a speed trap set up and he pointed the speed gun at them and he clocked them at traveling over 150 kilometers an hour. Realizing that he couldn't catch them, he radioed ahead eh, to his friend and they eh, Toa, his colleague, eh, on down the road about a couple of miles. And he said to him, he says, you better watch out. There's two guys in two sports cars, he says, racing down that road. He says, we need to get them stopped. But he says, I need help. And he says, I clocked them here at doing over 150 kilometers an hour. But he says, the weirdest thing is, there's an old man on a bicycle in behind, ringing the bell, looking past them. Because sometimes things are just not what they seem. Sometimes things are not what they seem. Was this not the case here in First Samuel with uh, Hannah? And uh, I want to read some verses again, uh, the verses four through seven. And, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Paniah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. Uh, and her adversary, who of course was Paniah, also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord, eh, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. The word of God says, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. You see, because Hannah did not have any children, Paniah jumped to the conclusion that this was a judgment of God upon Hannah. This is something that we have to be very, very careful about. Because we don't know the reasons for a lot of things. We just simply don't know all the details. Of course, there was a lot of things that was going on here that I would need to draw your attention to. Of course, uh, Elkanah here should never have had two wives in the first place. And of course, these two women, there was going to be rivalry between them. Human nature being what it is, 
it would have been impossible to avoid uh, these two women competing against one another. And then there was the fact that Elkanah loved Hannah and he gave her a worthy portion. See, don't you think that Paniah uh, would have picked up on this? Of course she would. Of course she would. So in a sense, it was a... a Paniah was provoked by her husband, Elkanah. In a sense, this is exactly what happened. Hannah, of course, finds herself in a situation here beyond her control, and it makes her fret, and therefore she wept and did not eat. But what Hannah did not realize was that God was bringing her to the conformity of his will. You see, do you think that Hannah would have had such a broken spirit? Do you think that she would have went up uh, into the temple with a broken and contrite heart if she had had her own children? Of course not. She would have been so preoccupied with uh, her own children and looking after them that she would have not have been in such a state. And she certainly wouldn't have been ready to give one of them unto the Lord forever. I want you to turn to Psalm 51 just Keep your finger in that place there in 1 Samuel, but turn to Psalm 51. I want to read two verses, verses 15 and 17. It says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. See, she would have been very happy. Hannah would have been very happy to go up to the, the temple and to worship the Lord. She'd been very happy to take part in the sacrifices unto God. But again, her heart would have been so preoccupied by looking after her children, she would have not at all been prepared to give one of them unto the Lord. But the God had prepared her heart here for true worship because indeed this, in verse 17 it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise and of course we know that this was the state that Hannah was in when she came before the Lord she did not realize that Hannah was doing a or sorry Hannah did not realize that the God was doing a great work in her heart in, in preparing her and by shutting up her womb, it appeared to all around her that this was a judgment of God. But God was bringing her to the conformity of his will. You know, there's a saying, I'm sure it is a saying here, but we have it a saying back in Northern Ireland. Things that are easily gained are easily lost. Things that are easily gained are easily lost. And I certainly have noticed over the years uh, that to be the case. I uh, And I've talked to others in the, the same profession in the building industry, and they would say the same thing. You know, sometimes from time to time, you will get someone that will give you a tool or something like that, uh, thinking that it's going to be such a blessing to you. And of course, you receive it and you say to yourself, yeah, it, uh, I, I will take it on. But you find that it's really not much use to you. And you never really use it. And then sometimes you, you just simply lose it. Sometimes you simply leave it behind at a job site. 
And they, but and then on the other hand, you could even get it lost or stolen. And uh, this happens. And we've always concluded that things that are easily gained are easily lost. Then on the other hand, on the other hand, you, those things that you really need and you yearn for, and you maybe many a time I have wanted a certain tool or a certain machine, thinking that it would be such a, a help for me in my job. But you can't afford it. And uh, you keep thinking about it and it keeps coming back to you. And maybe every time you're in the store, you, you, can, you can see one of them sitting there and you think about it and you start to see it and you put, and then sometimes they're, 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 you'll get a job and you'll maybe have a little bit extra money and you'll say, I'm going to buy that. But by now you have well considered the, the type of the machine, you've well considered the size, you've well considered the make, all of those things you have well considered. And whenever you buy it, you find it to be very, very useful and you take care of it. You don't lose it. You, you look after it and you, you will never leave it behind. And because it wasn't easily gained and it will not be easily lost. This was the case with Hannah and it's very much the case with us as well eh, in our own lives. And then as always, when you're having a bad day, things just seem to get worse and worse. And this was the case for Hannah here. Eh, whenever she went into the temple to pray, Eli thought that she was drunk. She thought that she was drunk. It says in the verse 14, And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. You see, when you're being misunderstood or misrepresented, eh, you can easily conclude that the whole world is against me. But I want to tell you about someone that was, was not only the whole world was against them, but the devil and every demon of hell was arrayed against them. And of course, I'm speaking about none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to talk about someone that was misunderstood and misrepresented, there was none more so than the Lord Jesus. Let me read some verses here. In John chapter 1, in the verses 10 uh, through 12, he, that is the Lord Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Of course they didn't. They had no idea that they were looking and speaking to the, the creator of all the, the earth. And then the verse 11 says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, they felt that, that they, the Lord Jesus was there to judge them and they despised him and they hated him because he was exposing their sin. But he had come actually to save them and offer them the, 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 the great gift of salvation. But let us never think, we can often, often think when we're going through trials that no one has ever went through this uh, before. But this is not the case because we never walk through so deep a waters as our Lord Jesus Christ walked through when he was here on earth. See, this man, the Lord Jesus, came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many, uh, but not only did they not receive him, 
but rather they crucified him. They took him and they beat him and they nailed him to a cross and they crucified him. How horrible. I want you to turn to John chapter 8, John's Gospel chapter 8 and the verse 41. They're speaking here, but once again, <clears throat> the Pharisees have come uh, to confront the Lord Jesus and to try and trick him with their clever speech. Uh, but the Lord here, he says to them in the verse 41, he says, ye do the deeds of your father. And of course, we know that their father was the, the devil. They were children of the devil. But the, look at their answers. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. You see, the Jews may well have been referring here to the controversy surrounding the birth of Jesus. The Jews, the Jews they knew only too well about the story of the bestowal of uh, Mary to Joseph. And they knew, knew that Joseph wasn't the biological father of, of uh, Jesus. And so therefore they could well be of pointing here and suggesting that uh, Jesus was the illegitimate son of Mary and that his mother had committed fornication. See, what a horrible, horrible, disgusting thing to say about our Savior, to say about the God of this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees here, they were making a judgment. They were making a judgment on what they could see. But the problem is they could not see the whole picture nor had they a desire to see the whole picture, but rather they made the picture say what they wanted it to say. That's exactly what they wanted it to say. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves here, do we ever do that? Do we ever do that? Maybe sometime there's something leveled against somebody. You know it's not true. But do you take the time to actually a pause and defend that person's name or do you get involved or rather do you walk away and maybe you know it is not true but maybe you say to yourself well you know what I don't really even like that person or maybe you say to yourself I don't even really know that person that well why would I get involved why would I do that but by doing that by keeping silence we're breaking the ninth commandment and we are, a, because we are bearing false witness by not clearing that person's name. But it's one thing, it's one thing to do this to someone, to someone that maybe we think we don't like too much, or maybe we think, well, I don't even know them too much. But it's a completely different thing to do that to someone that we profess that we love. You know, when I was preparing this message, I, uh, I was really convicted in my own heart about the number of times that uh, I have heard the Lord's name been taken in vain and have remained silent. Now, I know, I know only too well that we can't fight every battle. We simply just can't do that. And particularly in the building trade, when you're working amongst a, a bunch of builders and the foul mouths of that, they, that, that many of them are. You can't simply fight every battle. And it, it would be a, a case of uh, casting your pearls before swine. And they could turn 
and trample upon you and you can make a bad situation even worse. But then on the other hand, I often thought of that and I was thinking, very often I can hide behind that statement. Very often I can hide behind it. Or am I hiding behind it? Because I thought to myself, I said, well, if someone said that about my mother, my wife, my child, my brother, my sister, would I remain silent? Would I remain silent? And I certainly would hope that I wouldn't. But yet when it comes to the Lord, very often we remain silent. So I, I know, I know we can't fight every battle, but I just hope that I don't hide behind that statement. I want to tell you a story about a man that I, I served with in Northern Ireland. His name is Raymond, Raymond Linton, a very, very godly man. And uh, Raymond is now in a senior's home. He's an old man. Uh, but he was a very godly man. I didn't hear this story from him. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't go with him because he, he wouldn't want to uh, be seen as boasting or anything else. But uh, Raymond was a prison officer. And they, when he was working, and I actually heard the story from a man that was in prison at the time, a prisoner. And they, when he got out, he, he actually came to the Lord and got saved. And he told the story about one day that he was in the prison. And this other fellow prisoner was started to foul mouth the Lord and blaspheme the name of God. And now the, the whole wing was opened and the prisoners were allowed out on the landing and they were all walking about. So everybody heard him blaspheming the Lord, including Raymond, who was away up the wing. And as he was walking down the wing, he could hear this. And in a loud, very loud commanding voice, he shouted and he said, he says, excuse me, sir. But he says, that's my savior you're, you're talking about. And uh, the, the man that told the story, he said the whole entire wing fell silent. He says it fell silent. It wasn't, he says, you could have heard a pin drop. And uh, he, that was a case that you could have argued that he would be uh, casting his pearls before swine. But rather he spoke with the authority of God. And those men, those men, vile as they are, they, they, they fell silent and they respected what he said. I think the secret here is that every time we open our mouths, we have to be led of the Spirit of God. And that therefore, we have to be filled with the Spirit of God uh, every day. Did you ever think, do you ever think what it would have been like, like talking about misunderstood again, you ever think what it must have been like for Mary whenever she was carrying the Lord in her womb? You imagine the whispering behind her back and maybe even to her face, people can be very bold about these things. And they could have made comments to her face. Was she in any, any shape to uh, defend herself? How could she say, like, I mean, how could she explain to uh, people that don't know the Lord that this is of God? This is of God. I am with child of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they, they would have believed that one, wouldn't they? Of course not. It must have been an awful situation for her. I think a way too often we have to admit that we jump to conclusions. We jump to conclusions. And we make judgments without really knowing all the facts. Uh, or at least uh, we don't know all the truth, but maybe 
Uh, we just know part of it. And this is a huge problem. This is a huge problem that we face daily, that we make judgments without knowing uh, all the facts. Now, we do jump to conclusions, but we shouldn't do that. But the fact is we do. We do. And that is why, that is why that we have checks and balances in, in the law system today. And no one should be, no one person should be judge, jury, and executioner. That should never be the case. And, uh, and if the system, you see, it's not the system that is wrong. It's not the system. It's the people that's running the system. And so often, because they're just simply sinners, uh, sinning, sinful people, that the, the, the system is abused. But if the system was done right, that it, it, it certainly uh, worked perfectly. So we make, we make decisions in life without knowing the truth, with, or at least without knowing all the truth. And so often we do that. And then what do we do? We hear part of a story, and then we fill in the blanks. We fill in the blanks. And let's face it, sometimes the blanks, and then them blanks, actually, they become facts to us. They become part of the story. And, uh, and sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we just simply nail it. And them facts are true. But the question is this, what if they're wrong? What if the facts is, is, is not what they seem to be? Then now we're involved in gossip. Now we're involved in bearing false witness against someone. Now we're involved in slander. And so it's a very, very risky business it, it, to jump to conclusions and then to make those conclusions facts and to, to spread them abroad as though they are real. So the problem is that we make judgments according to what we see and what we know. But very often it's not accurate, or at least it's not the full truth. Now, our Lord Jesus, he had no such problem. He had no such problem when he was here on earth. But of course, he is God. He is God. And God knoweth all things. He knows the truth. And not only does he know the truth, but he knows how to act or make judgments upon the truth. We don't. Not without help from the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus knew exactly how to respond to every situation. But we don't. I, we have often remarked that. I've remarked that many times that even back home, I, I, I can recall that we had a, one neighbor who really was a difficult person to like. And no one liked him too much. But you know, in your judgments of that man, if he would have said or done anything, you would always have judged him very harshly. And, and uh, it, whereas there was another neighbor man, and we all liked him. We, we all got on well with him. He was a very likable person. But you didn't judge him the same way you judged the other man. Not at all. Our judgments are not equal. And without help from God, without help from God, the Holy Spirit, we will not make the right judgments. We don't know right from wrong without the help from God. Because we are desperately wicked. Our hearts is desperately wicked. Jesus knew exactly how to respond to the rich young ruler. He knew exactly what to say to the Pharisees when they tried to catch him uh, by the cleverness of their speech, and they certainly were clever. He knew exactly uh, when the disciples needed a rest. And in Mark 6 and 31, it says, 
And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And then what about Luke chapter 14 and the verse 26? If any man eh, come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10 and 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. You see, so many times, so many times, Jesus answered people in a way that shocks us. It shocks us. Like when he told the woman that hey, it's not meat that I should give hey, the bread to the dogs. He's not just called her a dog. Like that shocks us. But Jesus knew exactly where these people were at. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> he knew exactly where they were at in their faith and how strong their faith was, what they were able to handle. And of course, we know exactly now what Jesus was doing. We know that what he was teaching. And that's because we have the advantage. We have the advantage of, number one, hindsight. We often say hindsight is a wonderful thing, and it is. So we have that advantage. And of course, we have the completed scriptures. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. So we have a lot of advantage over the people that was hearing these statements at this time. See, the things that our Lord said and did were perhaps not always what, they, what the people were expecting to hear. But for sure, it was what they needed. If for sure it was what they needed. It was exactly the right thing at the right time. And you know something else? Things that happen in our lives are not always what we want them to be. They're not always what they want them to be. We can all say that. And we often are left to wonder why. To ask the question why. Because we don't, we don't know. And we don't see the whole picture. Because we can't see it. We're here in this earth, in this sin-cursed earth. And we're dealing with all these issues. We're dealing with our own sinful hearts and the many things that can lead us astray. And so we don't understand why a lot of things happen in our lives. But we know that God is shaping us and he is molding us. We have to remember that. We have to remember in this earth, we're on the potter's wheel. He is, he, we're the clay, he's the potter and he's shaping us and he's molding us. And as he digs his finger into the clay to make a nice en engraving mark in that clay, it hurts, it hurts a lot. And that's what happens in our lives. But all these things will fall out to our good. They'll fall out to our good. And one day, one day when we get to glory, we will understand the reasons why a lot of things happen in our lives. And then what about when the Lord Jesus has said in John chapter 6, let me read these verses, uh, chapter 6 and the verses 53 and 54. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life 
in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now we understand this, of course, now, having all these advantages that I just mentioned, uh, we, we understand that the Lord is speaking about the Lord's table here. And we know, we know that he wasn't meaning that we literally drink the blood of Christ or literally eat the flesh of Christ. As he broke the bread and, and served the wine at the Last Supper, Jesus was still standing there. His body was intact. He wasn't giving them his flesh. He wasn't giving them his blood, but it was symbolic of his flesh and of his blood. And of course, we understand that now. But I'm sure there was a lot of people who was very confused at that time. And indeed, a lot of them was. And a lot of them, they said, followed him no more after he made that statement. And then there's a story about the rich young ruler. And near the end of that story, in, in, Mark, in Mark 10, and the verse 25, it says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible. It's impossible. You see, it's impossible to get into heaven by your money. It's impossible with your riches. It's impossible to get into heaven even you're born into a Christian family and a good home and brought up with all the privileges of the gospel, went to church every Sunday, eh, both morning and evening. It's still impossible to get into heaven by those means and those means alone. But I'm glad that the verse doesn't finish there. As he says, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Yeah, it's even possible that a hell-deserving sinner, such as Alec Newell, should get into heaven, should be part of the kingdom of God. It's even possible. No matter the wretched sinner that comes to Christ in, pure, in, in sure repentance, it's possible for them to get into heaven through God. That's incredible. And that's something that the world out there can't uh, totally grasp. They can't totally grasp that some vile, wretched sinner that turns to Christ for salvation can be saved. While some very important, a uh, great person in the eyes of the world can die and go to a lost eternity. They can't grasp that. They can't take that in. And they can't reason that. Because they still think in their own minds that you're saved according to your works. And no, that'll never be the case. You see, it's possible for a hell-deserving sinner to get into heaven if they go through the proper door. The proper door. And of course, that door is the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember hearing a lawyer explaining one time how he really believes that every person, no matter how guilty they might be, has a right, has a right to be defended or represented in a court of law. He says, if, if you don't have that, 
he says it just quickly turns into like a witch hunt. It quickly turns into chaos and the whole mob will want to just crucify that man for want of a better word or hang him, whatever the case may be. And he went on to, to tell the story about how he had represented a man one time. And actually, I know the man that he was speaking about. I don't know him personally, but I know who he was speaking about. And this man had uh, murdered this other young person. Really, he was he was high on drugs and alcohol and all the rest. And he got him and he beat him and he threw him off, or dragged him up to the high building and threw him off the building. And the young man that he had killed was really just simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. That was the opposite, the only thing he was guilty of. But he says, as I sat in that courtroom, and he says that all the details was read out in the court. And he says it was read out in, in, in gruesome detail. Uh, and he says it was hard to listen to. And he says, as I looked around me, he says, I could see the family sobbing. And they were crying. He says, that young man's father, he says, was only sitting a few feet from me. And he says, for a moment, for a moment, he says, I said to myself, why? Why am I representing this guy? And then he says, no. He says, I realized that no, even the most vilest, wretched person, no matter how guilty they are, they have a right to be represented in a court of law. Well, what about, what about the great and terrible day, the judgment day of God, the great white throne judgment? When we all stand before God, who is going to represent you? Who is going to represent you? Who's going to represent me? Well, praise God, I won't be representing myself. That will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will be representing me. But you know, I fear for a lot of people because they're going to be representing themselves and they're going to bring their good works. They're going to bring their petty pedigree, if you like. I was born into such and such a family. I was brought up in, in, in such an area. I was belonged to such a town. I belonged to this community. I done a lot of good things. And God's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're cursing. And that's what he's going to say. So praise God. When I come there, thank God, I'm going to be represented by the Lord Jesus Christ. But I leave that question with you this morning, folks. Who is representing you? I know where time is gone. I don't know, Alan, do you want me to uh, just close in prayer or do you want to sing the hymn? We'll sing one more hymn and then you can close the prayer. Well, I, okay. <laughs>